All 193 countries of the United Nations have declared it a concern of all nations, and the European Space Agency has made tackling it a key priority. Now, ESA and the UN have joined forces to highlight this topic of global concern, space debris. I'm Rosa Jesse, editor at ESA's Spacecraft Operations Centre in Germany, and in this podcast series, we'll speak to experts on space debris, space policy, space law, and more. Each podcast episode comes with a corresponding infographic, beautifully illustrating the issues raised. Find them in the podcast notes at isa.int slash space debris or at usa, oosa.org. Episode 5, The Role of Fiery Reentries, with Stan Lemons and Jorge Del Rio Vera. Hi, hello. Yes, my name is uh, Stan Lemons. I'm a senior analyst in the Space Debris Office for the European Space Agency. And that actually means that I look into technologies which try to mitigate um, the persistence of space debris on orbit and to make sure that those can be used safely, which is uh, where the links with the reentry comes in. Hi, Rosa. Hi, Stan. Uh, I'm Jorge del Rivera, working for the United Nations Office for Outer Space Affairs as a Scientific Affairs Officer on Space Technology. My role is basically to support member states with opportunities to, to access infrastructure and reserve facilities that would otherwise be either too costly or too difficult to access. So we avoid a situation similar to the, to the digital divide, but in a space we bridging the so-called space divide. So we're talking about debris re-entries, uh, which is a big and really important topic when it comes to space debris, and it's not quite as scary as it sounds. So uh, Jorge, could you just introduce this topic and explain what a re-entry is? Oh, thank you, Rosa, for the question. Yeah, the, <clears throat> basically the satellites are up there. So what happens with, when, a, when a spacecraft or a space object, it's at the end of, of its life. So, so we have seen in this series of podcasts many, many interesting facts about space debris and, and facts. Uh, and one of the, of the possible ends uh, is basically that the, the satellite is coming down or the space object is coming down uh, to Earth. And we are somehow somewhat protected by the atmosphere. And at the speeds of the, of the space object, which is several kilometers per second friction, generally causes the, the space object to, to lower in altitude, getting closer to the Earth and, and break up. And that's what we are calling re-entry. That there are parts of that space object that uh, might have been re- designed to resist high temperatures, like re-entry capsules bringing astronauts home, like True Dragon, Soyuz, or, or Shenzhou. And they have to resist temperatures more than 1,500 degrees when coming down to Earth. And there are also some elements of rockets that are designed to resist those high temperatures. Okay, so yeah, some re-entries uh, have been designed intentionally to protect humans that are re-entering. That's um, important to point out. Um, and Stan, okay. what about satellites and things that we don't necessarily want them to survive this re-entry? Yes, uh, as Jorge already said, what uh, what goes up must eventually come down. It can take uh, quite some time. And one of the core ideas behind space debris mitigation is that we do not leave objects for prolonged, let's say, periods of time in, in densely used orbital zones. 
So that then de facto means that there is going to be also an, an influx of objects which are not designed to, to survive the, the re-entry um, on their way to the atmosphere. And we're talking about from the, the trackable optical populations, so the ones which we are sure that they're out there, of about, let's say, 300 uh, per year, including satellites, debris pieces, and rocket bodies. And from a re-entry perspective, not all pieces are the same. So when, when you have small pieces of debris, small satellites, um, they generally uh, enter uncontrolled. So without any any guidance, and they break up entirely, and the pieces can be small enough that they ablate uh, as well. Now there's also larger satellites or rocket bodies in in, in orbit. Um, of those, we have a reentry about um, once every every two weeks, and when they pass through the atmosphere, they they fall apart into larger pieces again and those pieces can be significant enough to survive the process because they're made of a, a let's say a, a durable material which can resist the high temperatures or and uh, it's about those um, objects that we have to let's say exercise some uh, concerns okay so to control a re-entry what does that mean exactly to control a re-entry essentially means that you choose the time and place where in the atmosphere that this is going to, to happen. You can do this, uh, as mentioned before, for capsules, which either bring uh, astronauts or precious payloads back to Earth. But also, if you want to, to limit the risks associated with, uh, with re-entries by targeting certain places over the, over the Earth. Mm -hmm. Okay, so you've talked a bit about how common this is. Uh, and is this something we should be worried about? So, uh, as said, indeed, we, we want to make sure that uh, the space orbits remain um, clean uh, for further use, for indefinite use um, by new missions. And hence, the, this is uh, a great way to take it out because the risks can actually be controlled by effectively targeting where uh, a reentry happens or by making sure that your spacecraft is designed appropriately with these uh, risks in mind. You can uh, bring this down. For example, if we talk about um, the risk of a, of a fragment surviving re-entry and impacting um, on Earth and, and hitting a human, essentially, um, over one year, this risk is about 100,000 times uh, less than the same human being hit by lightning. So, okay. careful control, you can mitigate this. Um, yeah, Jorge, um, maybe you could mention a bit about how we avoid damage. Yeah, I mean, it, if taking the, the example of uh, Stan before, uh, a person being hit by a, uh, by a piece of, of a satellite or, or by a space object in general. So we try to avoid that damage as much as, much as possible. We, we try to avoid damage to, to people, property, and, and, and the planet as much as, as is possible. If we are thinking, for instance, in the, in the Ariane or, or the Vega family of launchers, they are launched towards the, the, the Atlantic in Kourou, uh, from Kourou, where they, from the Guyana Space Center. Um, something similar is happening when, when a space object is, is coming down and, and we can control the, the, the re-entry. And, and you have to think uh, not only in terms of people that is, is on, on the ground, but uh, if you are flying in a plane, you are traveling using a plane, you don't want to be in the path of a, of a rocket or a space object when, when traveling. Mm -hmm. And uh, for that purpose, there are actually 
no flight zones or safety zones that are established when there is a rocket launch or, or when there is a when there is a reentry. And the same is is happening for boats that are, in, that are on the ocean. So, so we definitely we all try to avoid those those damages as, as much as possible. Um, and in terms of the effect, as you said, on the planet, Stan, maybe uh, this is where the ESA's Clean Space Office comes in. Could you talk a bit about what they're doing to reduce some of these impacts? Yep, certainly. So there's uh, next to the to, to the risk of effectively impacting on on ground, which is mitigated by, uh, by by colleagues from our clean space office by looking into technologies such as design for demise, making sure that any piece essentially ablates or burns up on its way towards uh, the ground. There, there's another couple of um, risks which we collaboratively tackle as an agency. For example. Um, uh, a spacecraft could contain um, toxic elements, and this is not something which we want to bring back through uh, through the atmosphere to the to the ground. So there's a detailed design assessment um, and for every individual components to make sure that either these toxic components um, ablate as well or just not present on any object which is meant to um, yeah, to pass through the atmosphere. The same is true for for nuclear safety. And you can uh, even go as far as making sure that when an object passes uh, through the atmosphere into an ocean zone, that it does not create hazardous uh, wrecks. And this is all part of a yeah, collaborative design uh, effort with, uh, well, with all the teams involved in building a satellite. Okay, what about the UN? What's the UN doing when it comes to re-entries? So when we, we are talking about the UN, we are talking about member states and, and the support that they, the United Nations is giving them uh, for having uh, diplomatic channels. And we are mainly talking about information sharing. And the information sharing obligations that are discussed in the Committee on the Peaceful Use of Outer Space are, are soft in nature. But uh, the, the nature of the rights that uh, states uh, accrue uh, are transparent and, and, and that those states are transparent and provide notice of, of the plan activities, provide a, a very important incentive to states to, to be forthcoming in, in their intentions to explore outer space, to notify, to share information. For example, if, if um, there, is a, there is a member state that is establishing a national registry of objects that are launched into outer space, well, that state is gaining the right to have its space object return if the object is recovered uh, outside the, 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 the borders of the country, is recovered by another, another country. Uh, also, by becoming part of the, of the Outer Space Treaty, the states gain the right to be compensated if it is damaged by a space object of another party. And um, more importantly, providing also notifications and bad notification information regarding the, the plan activities in space also give that state the opportunity to, to be consulted by other states who might also be planning similar missions. So, so we are talking about <clears throat> transparency and, and confidence building uh, measures. Um, and, and probably someone that is listening to this and, and might be worried about uh, the, the fact that the space object is, 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 is falling down in, in, into someone and the, the numbers are, are very low. So the, the total number of space objects that have been notified to the Secretary General um, to be 
return are 140 objects roughly. So definitely, if, if you have time, I invite you the, 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 the listeners to have a look at the, at the NUSA website. And there you, you will see some of the pictures of the objects that are, that are recovered. So that's, that's the numbers of objects that have been found yes. on the ground. Yeah, okay. De definitely, yes. That those that, that are notified by, by countries to, to the United Nations that have been found in, in the territory. And uh, they, they yeah. most likely want to return it to the, to the owner. So in, in general, we have to be vigilant and, and, and to improve technology. And technology is, is key uh, to improve the situation vis-a-vis reentry. That, as Dan said, I mean, we are already concerned and, and we know which are the areas that, that needs to be improved and those, are, those areas are tackled. Uh, so I think we are, we are in a very good situation in general. And having these diplomatic conversations in the Committee on the, on the Peaceful Uses of Outer Space, is, it's, it's a very good sign. It's a very healthy sign that things are going, are working well. Mm -hmm. uh, and Stan, you talked a bit about uh, what ESA's Clean Space Office is doing. Um, could you talk a bit more about ESA's role when it comes to re-entries? So, yes, and I would like to stress that this is actually an agency-wide uh, area of expertise because it touches upon many, uh, many problems. So the agency develops um, and puts emphasis on, on solid, uh, let's say, scientific understanding in this multiphysics problem as it has to touch things like chemistry, fluid mechanics, the, the strength of mechanics of a spacecraft. And even material sciences, how the, how does part of a spacecraft the blade? So, so we do this core research to understand what happens to a spacecraft when it passes through the atmosphere. Secondly, we, we strongly committed to make this a, a safe endeavor and hence put a lot of emphasis on, uh, on standardization, on make sure that all our spacecraft or for spacecraft in our member stage are designed and verified by, by similar metrics so that we can be, uh, let's say, have trust in the, in the processes and the, the results when um, a spacecraft effectively meets its uh, fiery end. And that is both for uh, uncontrolled re-entries, where we trigger ablation, or for controlled one, to make sure that we indeed do not interfere with uh, air traffic or, or maritime traffic. Then there is, of course, um, let's say, an ongoing paradigm shift in terms of making sure that our spacecrafts are not only designed to, to survive the, the launch right up into orbit, but effectively ablate completely when they pass down, so to go for zero risk in as far as possible. And lastly, um, as this is a, a difficult scientific field as well, we promote, let's say, experiments and, um, let's say, mission developments to make sure that we can get the data we need to, to validate our processes and be sure uh, that what we predict is also effectively happening. Mm. Cool. Well, I mean, it's interesting to think, I mean, it seems like a real problem. How do you make an object that survives launching through the atmosphere, but doesn't survive coming back down again. That seems impossible, but clearly it's not. Like with many things uh, in the, it's the space field, it's a good engineering trade-off to make sure that you meet all the objectives one way or another. So is there anything that you'd really like to highlight if there's one thing you'd like people to take away after listening to this and having a look at the infographic, what would it be? Jorge, how about you? So. I think that uh, it's it's very important, as Steam was was mentioning, 
sharing the knowledge uh, on space activities is, is very important uh, and sharing information about the, about technology developments. So other states that are new state new players can already adopt some of these uh, principles that have been proven to, to be to be workable and, and to, to function. Um, I think it's it's a matter of, of dialogue between countries is collective responsibility, collective, decision, collective work on monitoring and reporting that we can continue building confidence and, and transparency for re-entry events. And it's also collective responsibility to build capacity that enable all the space actors, including new space actors, to be better equipped to provide this information. We have projects on that. We have one project on, on building technological capacity that is access to space for all. So I think that mm -hmm. that's a key takeaway, technological sharing, sharing of knowledge and, and, and information. Yeah, I would like to, to stress that it's actually um, a, a good tool, re-entries are a good tool, to make sure that we do not leave any object on orbit for longer than it needs to be or for longer than is sustainable. Of course, this has consequences, but uh, the risks and the technologies are actually manageable, so there is actually a good opportunity to do this in a safe and a sustainable way as well. So, thanks for listening. You can find out more about space debris and the work being done to tackle it at isa.int forward slash space debris and at usa.org and follow the hashtags spacecare and space sustainability on Twitter to join the conversation.